When I was younger, I was very interested in photography and pursued it as a as a course of study for a while and uh, made some brief forays into it professionally. And, and I've always admired photography as an art form. And my study in American literature that has become increasingly 20th century and Southern in the last 10 years or so has directed my attention toward some photographers in that area and that tradition, particularly the farm securities photographers and Walker Evans, for instance. But my favorite among them is definitely Dorothea Lange. In class the other day, we were talking about Dorothea Lange's migrant mother. It's probably, it's it has to be one of um the most iconic American images, period, and it's particularly the most iconic uh, image of the Oki diaspora, the the spread of my people out of Oklahoma. And, you know, as a, as a child of that, uh, that appeals to me. A lot of people are not aware that they're um, among those farm security as photographers. There were also Southern photographers and the primary uh, foremost among them for me is Eudora Welty, who was also a seminally important American writer. And uh, her work was mostly focused on people around her community in Mississippi. The sight of her with her camera became so familiar that it... Uh, that it became commonplace and the people let their guard down and shed a level of access and a level um, of familiarity with their subjects that lends a tremendous intimacy to them and that I find um, refreshing. It may be that uh, Lang and Welty both as women had a more sensitive approach uh, and a more socially focused approach to their Subjects, they seem to really represent the lives of women in particular uh, with insight, compassion, and uh, familiarity. And I find that um, to be very compelling. And it might not have anything to do with gender. It might have to do more with um, familiarity or love. Two of my favorite male photographers are like Welty, not primarily photographers. They're um, both gifted musicians, and that's their quote-unquote main job. One of them is Milt Henton, who was Louis Armstrong's bass player in the All-Stars for a while, and he traveled with Louis and, and had a lot of, made a lot of beautiful images of him. Uh, in candid moments, he has one in particular where he's they're in their hotel room, they're on the road, and and Lewis is wearing his sleeping gown and he has his white cap on. He looks like a voodoo priestess for Mardi Gras. And Milt's love for pops comes across in those images, and uh, also the trust that Louis Armstrong has in him to share those images appropriately with the world is uh, is plain to see in the images themselves. There's also Marty Stewart, who's a great, great guitar player and, and historian of country music. And and uh, he was in Johnny Cash's band for a long time, and he took that last 
image of Johnny Cash is so heartbreaking. It looks like a it looks like a death portrait, frankly, and it was taken a few, you know, not not very many days before we lost Johnny Cash. And I don't think that somebody who didn't love him could have made that image of him. I guess when I think about it, something that unites all four of these photographers is, um, well, love, compassion, sensitivity. Um, but maybe more important is that uh, there's no commercial motivation in any of this. They're not trying to sell you anything but love and compassion and sensitivity. They're not advertising for anyone. Anyway, I was talking with my class about about some of these things and and about the idea that we might, contrary to some people who are making statements about the demise of photography as an art form because of the democratization of it, I think we might have a, a golden era of it because everyone has a camera now. Around three quarters of the people on earth are in possession of a smartphone that's equipped with a camera right now, and that is certainly a thing of consequence and something that we need to think about, come to terms with, honestly. And we are also, more often than not, I guess, taking pictures of people we love or people we care about, people we know, certainly. I have pretty uh, strictly avoided participating in social media, but I've made an Instagram account to keep up with the podcast and make some announcements about it. And it's been interesting because I've had some former students um, who follow me and I follow back and I get to see into their lives and maintain connections with people I probably otherwise would have probably let slip out of my life. And that's all good. That's been beautiful in, in many ways. You know, though I turned on Instagram yesterday... And I saw, unexpectedly, a video of my beautiful wife playing a Leonard Cohen song. She'd sent it to her daughters, and one of them put it on the, put it on the Instagram. It was, it, was, it was lovely, but she didn't intend it to be public. And, you know, she's not mad about it or anything, but it, it wasn't rehearsed. Or produced. It was just meant to um, celebrate and share a little joy with the girls. But it did make me think about issues of permission or consent in this new world of photography. I mean, we've got, um, you know, uh, all of these images out there and, and how they're used or what the rules are for that is not entirely clear. You know, as with so many other things in our world right now, the ease of it all sort of can short-circuit some of the mechanisms of, of, uh, of consideration that might go with it. If it's in your phone, it's simple to share to Instagram. Anyway, I mean, I mostly have thought about photography in this way or in, in the way that I've been talking about with my students. Um, I've thought about it in terms of looking through the lens from the from the back side of the lens, not really being on the other side of it. Um, I've been thinking of it in terms of seeing rather than of being seen. 
I guess, though I've been seeing myself on my own camera a heck of a lot lately, because when I do my Zoom classes, I see myself. I guess I can turn that off, but that seems weird, too, because I'm not sure at that point what exactly they are seeing. But more than just being limiting or narrowing, it has made me extremely self-conscious about a culture of surveillance that uh, has always been there, but we're sort of forced to participate in um, in ways that I'm uncomfortable with right now. All of it seems to have accelerated something that's been around for quite a while and that's concerned me for quite a while. I've, I've noticed, you know, over the years that, for instance, the ability for a computer to track me from one computer to the next has uh, become exponentially more powerful. You know, it used to be, okay, I'm going to teach a Margaret Walker poem, so I'm going to also, you know, teach a Duke Ellington song, and I'm going to show this Milt Hinton image of Louis Armstrong or, or whatever, you know, whatever I'm teaching in the class that day. And then while I'm doing that, you know, I'm on Amazon thinking about an an overdrive pedal I want to buy or, you know, whatever, whatever else, um, whatever I'm shopping for at the time. And then I'll go into my uh, classroom and the computers are supposed to be wiped and reset every night and they're not supposed to have any kind of memory or cookies or anything on them, but then I'll go in and I'll search for, you know, Margaret Walker and you know, whatever, Milt Hinton, Duke Ellington. And then by the time I hit two or three of those things, it'll figure out that it's me or it used to figure out that it was me. And then it would uh, put an ad from Guitar Center somewhere, YouTube or whatever I was in, and, and uh, show me that guitar overdrive pedal that I wanted to buy noticed in the last couple of semesters or maybe a couple of years that I'd go to the classroom, I'd turn it on, and I wouldn't even search for, uh, you know, the first three things. I would just open up YouTube so that I could put the Ellington song on there and the overdrive pedal ad would already be on there. It knew where I was going. And it's not just me bringing that advertising into the classroom uh, because... Uh, when I turn on the projector, for instance, to show something on the overhead, which I do, you know, pretty much every day, uh, I have to see, you know, Panasonic as the thing warms up. I joke with my students, uh, these remarks brought to you by Panasonic. Bringing that advertising into the classroom, uh, it changes the learning environment in a significant way. And uh, it's very akin to what happens in social media. When you have ads on your Instagram or your other social media, it turns that into a commercial space. It turns us all into commercial advertisers. When we show a picture of our baby, we're actually advertising for whatever baby products you've got right now. And then of course, you know, our phone has GPS and it tracks us. So it's probably communicating with the communicating with the other computer. 
Do you look at the map destinations on your phone? You turn your phone on and it tells you where you want to go based on where you normally go at that time. So it tells you to go to band practice. tells you to go to the boat. It does in my case. And even uh, more interesting, it tells you where you want to, what you want to buy relative to that uh, activity. It sends you a Guitar Center ad or it sends you a West Marine ad. So that's kind of interesting, um, and you know, that these machines communicate with each other and transfer that information without our consent is a little bit concerning to me. I'm not doing anything wrong, <laughs> but I don't necessarily want to be tracked at every turn. And I also um, kind of thought I was starting to understand the rules of that tracking or how it worked. And most of it, of course, is aimed at selling us stuff. Most of it is advertising. And so that's understandable, both that they would put this power to work for advertising um, and also that, you know, if, if you are searching for something, then you presumably consent to that because you want it. On the other hand, of course, if the government's spying on you, they have no reason to announce it to you in the way that Guitar Center is incentivized to announce it to you. I was reminded of a lot of this because my wife and I were driving home from the boat this morning and uh, just going through, you know, just talking, whatever. And then we were thinking about some podcasts to listen to and thinking about, you know, whatever else was going on. And, uh, and I was running through some ideas for a podcast and I was telling her my thoughts on photography and my thoughts on the democratization of it. And, uh, you know, just sort of, just sort of talking through some of the some of the things that I was interested in um, relative to that and, and not relative at all to this surveillance or permission or consent conversation. Her phone was dead. My phone was sitting there in the console as we drove. And then uh, we got home. She plugged her phone in. I turned mine on. And I had these ads for Shutterfly and other image sharing things. I had ads for cameras. I had ads for um, different photo apps, some of which are gone now. So clearly the phone was spying on me without my consent and uh, through Instagram and probably figured I'd be grateful for being surveilled because it was offering me a product that it thought that I wanted based on its reconnaissance mission into my car. When I say this, by the way, I'm sure that I legally consented to all of these things. That's what they call the fine print. But that's a little bit uh, disconcerting, frankly, that they have access to that level of of my thoughts and conversations without me really actively participating. I've only passively or implicitly participated by signing into or accepting the terms and conditions of some of these 
quote unquote services. And again, we're, we're still still talking about advertising here. You know, I still don't know the extent to which other people have surveilled me. My employer, the government. And I don't know that it's simply an issue of you don't do anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about, because I think that there are sort of sort of other categories and there's somewhere in between that is of concern to me still. And the extent to which you consent to something by signing something is interesting too. I mean, for instance, I didn't consent to whatever kind of surveillance is going on when I have to teach online. I mean, I guess I did. My job changed and I could have resigned from my position rather than accept the conditions of my, the new and ever-shifting conditions of my employment. So I guess there's a level of consent there. But not really. I mean, I don't know that I would have signed or that my union would have allowed me to sign a contract that said, hey, you're going to have a work computer in your bedroom. It's going to have a camera and a microphone. It's going to turn itself on sometimes when you didn't turn it on. And you're going to have a thing called Cortana that's going to tell you sometimes things that you've said in the morning. It would be absurd for that to be the fundamental arrangement that I have with my university, and yet that's the de facto arrangement I have with my university during this pandemic, which again maybe only accelerated um, the direction we were already moving in some basic way. And no matter what I'm doing in these spaces, and no matter what they're trying to sell me, it changes the way I behave, both professionally and personally. I mean, we're all familiar with the concept of the Heisenberg effect, right? I mean, just the, the idea that watching something changes the outcome, even, even when we're talking about physics. Um, but socially, psychologically, it changes the outcome even more. So we are aware at all times in our culture now that we are being studied and that we are the subject of an, ex an experiment and the Heisenberg effect is in operation in that at all times. I don't know how much to worry about this. I, I guess, you know, personally, I'm a pretty conventional middle-class guy and, and I'm a... Uh, good consumer who's addicted to Jeff Bezos sending me stuff at home. The thing that's weird to me right now, or the thing I'm uncomfortable with really is not my own personal exposure in this so much. It's the fact that through this apparatus that I'm participating in, I'm expected to teach young people in an environment where they as a term and condition of getting an education, have to submit to a level of surveillance that's pretty invasive. I see them in their homes. 
and whoever else watches sees them in their homes. I've spent so much of my life as a educator trying to personalize and humanize and uh, you know take commercial and transactional concerns out of the classroom and I don't know how to do that in this new space and maybe more to the point it's hard for anyone to become what they're trying to become when someone is watching them all the time and so the consequence of this is they've cut, shut off their cameras and I teach to a blank screen and that's frustrating to me. And I was maybe a little mad at them about it for a minute. Um, I don't know what the answer is and I don't know if they figured this out, but I do know that they have the right not to be seen in their intimate spaces in their own homes if they choose that. Be well, friends. Thanks, and I'll see you next week.